Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm here with part two of the off-season projection special with Ben Gretsch. If you missed episode one, uh, suggest checking that out, uh, especially the first 10 minutes or so where Ben and I kind of outline what the series is going to be about. But we did the AFC East. Today's episode, we're going to do the NFC East. As a reminder, you can find all my work over at Establish the Run, all the projections that we're talking about are done by myself, Mark Dankenbring, Jack Miller, and the ETR team. And they flow through to our rankings to, to, for all our sites, including Underdog, whose ADP will be referenced throughout the show. Also, make sure you're following Ben at Yards Per Gretch on Twitter. Can also check out his Substack, bengretch.substack.com. That's a great resource all season long. I'll say, like, especially in season for the Stealing Signals column must read each week to just stay up to date on on usage and, and what signals to buy and kind of what could be noise and you can ignore. Ben, thanks so much for joining me here for part two. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. Part one was fun. This is a fun division. The The, the East divisions have been kind of boring the last several years and they got more exciting last year. They're, they're both fun now. The NFC East, lots of, to think about here. Yeah, it is fun. And I feel like the past couple of years, like I, I always have like some hot takes mixed in here and there. I feel like this year I'm struggling to come up with as many, but there are at least some some teams that are like fun to talk about, even if you're not super hot takey. Dallas is fun to talk about where you're just trying to figure out what they're going to do. You know, they ditched Callum Moore, which just objectively seems like a bad move. Moore was very fast paced. He was an aggressive guy. Their, their offense was good with him. Seems like McCarthy wants to go more old school and – as a result, you got to figure out what to do with their play calling. Um, they brought in Brian Schottenheimer, who's like, can we classify him as a boomer? I think pretty safely. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty safely classify as a boomer. But like, what is that actually going to entail? And Dallas is one of the fastest paced teams previous seasons. And um, it's kind of remarkable, Ben and the ETR team, we have really similar projection inputs on the Dallas play calling, even though that involves a decent amount of guesswork. So like last season, Dallas ran 65 and a half plays per game. They're at 67.8, two seasons ago, really high. Um, but we've got them at 64.5, which is a little bit above average. I would say there might be some room for downside just, you know, with the coordinator change there. We each have them at exactly 58% called pass rate, which again, like, that one's that one's tough. I think they're going to be good again too. Is the issue? So even last year they were negative six percent PROE. They had a fifty four percent pass rate overall, and the defense was good last year, which was huge. The year before that they threw a bit more. So I could see where they like maybe are even a little bit more boring than we're projecting here. Yeah, I mean I think that's definitely possible. It's it's you look at their past data. I mean we we have them throwing a little bit more, but we've both scaled back their play volume. Um, they've been notoriously fast the last several years. Um, but it's funny how close we land and, and it, it's kind of just indicative of like the, the whole idea of regression and we're sort of moving back towards the mean, but this is what happens with projections. It's also one of the, the pitfalls of projections where like, yeah, I mean, if you're thinking through it, you're probably thinking through it similarly to other people who are thinking through it where it's like, yeah, we're going to, regress this back toward the mean we're going to still have them a little bit above average but like you said there's room to be like way off on this still like they could be a really boring offense it could be completely different it's just yeah, hard to project I, i'm a little bit concerned about Dak's 
true ceiling, you know, just kind of relating this back to like specific actual fantasy stuff. Like I think he's probably going to have a really solid season. Cause I think he's good. He's efficient. The receivers are good enough. You know, they play in a dome. I think he'll be fine. I don't know if the true ceiling is like really high just because he might be hamstrung a bit by the play calling, especially if the team's like actually, you know, good again, like if the defense is good and McCarthy doesn't seem like he wants to press it, like maybe they were pretty aggressive under more in all circumstances. So that's some of my concerns. We've got him, uh, you know, between 43 to 4,400 yards, 28 to 29 touchdowns, about 230-ish rush yards with a few rushing touchdowns. We're really similar overall. That puts uh, my projections at 304 four point per passing touchdown fantasy points on the season. You've got them at 320, which I know for us, that stat line has met QB 13 is ADP's QB 12. I'm kind of, you know, if I've got CD lamb or cooks early, I'll take some, some Dak. I really don't take Dak without those guys. Cause I haven't, you know, found him to be a guy that I want to backdoor stack too much. I mean, you do have Gallup late, but kind of, kind of mad on Dak this year. Yeah, I agree with all that. The two uh, things I want to highlight first is rush TDs. Had six each of his first three seasons, had three the next two. Uh, and that fifth one was the year that he hurt himself, uh, hurt the you know, big major leg injury. He had three through the first five games, but but hurt his leg. So his rush TD rate over those first four and a half seasons was really strong. The two seasons since he came back from that leg injury, only one rush TD both seasons. They've basically treated him – uh, a little bit different around the line, or excuse me, around the goal line. They're they're not using his size to to get some of those rush TDs anymore. It's interesting to think about if he has rush TD upside. We both have him around three rush TDs with Zeke gone, especially because it was you know a big part of Zeke last year was you know he had double digit touchdowns and a lot of them were from one yard. I think it was like eight touchdowns from one yard or something. I don't have the exact number right in front of me, but I looked it up when we were doing this when I did these projections and. It's it's just crazy. He was Zeke was top three, I know, in attempts from the one yard line and TDs from the one yard line, and also top three in attempts from inside the five and touchdowns from inside the five. So got a lot of work in close. If some of that touchdown work, I mean, obviously some of it could shift to Pollard, the other running backs, but if some of it could shift back to Dak, who's a big bodied quarterback, that could help some of his upside. The other side of it, I would say, is I mean, look, they lost Amari Cooper a couple years ago. They lose Dalton Schultz this past off season. We don't really know what's going to happen at tight end. Michael Gallup, a lot of people are interested in, second year removed from an ACL, wasn't very good last year. I'll just point out that his last really good year and like the peripherals per route stuff was 2019. He wasn't very good in 2020. He wasn't very good in 2021 before the injury. We had a almost 1,000 route sample across those two years before the ACL that he wasn't good. He wasn't good last year. So if you're hoping – Two years removed, he's back to what? I mean, he didn't look great those two seasons before the ACL. So you go through and you do the projection. One of the things that feeds back to Dak's efficiency is he doesn't have a deep receiving core. Uh, he's going to need Brandon Cooks, the newcomer, who can be very good, obviously. But he's going to need him to be really good and quick. CeeDee Lamb, obviously a legit number one. But what else is there if Michael Gallup isn't a star? The other you know, young wide receivers like Jalen Tolbert and uh, didn't step up last season at all. So there's a big question to me about where the production comes from on the other end, catching the passes. Now that the, the pass core is a little bit thinned out after these, you know, the, the loss of Cooper and Schultz the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, going to running back, the tough projection for Dallas, um, 
you're projecting right now Zeke to return to Dallas. We're projecting Zeke as a free agent. I do think Dallas is the favorite to be Zeke's team for this upcoming season. So I'm with you there and how that impacts things. And I think it does impact Pollard. Right now, we have a Pollard, someone that if there was no Zeke, I'm, I'm really comfortable with him as a second round pick, you know, with his talent, with the running back room that they have. And again, I think the team should be good, even if they get a little more boomerish on play calling that should, shouldn't affect Pollard too much, at least in a negative way. In some ways, might give him some more carries. I'll generally, you just hope the offense to be better than versus some of that bulk volume. But yeah, the big difference there is we've got about 25 to 30 more carries on Pollard than you do. Similar amount of targets. Um, we're pretty close on the fantasy point production. And some of that is, you know, the efficiency is generally going to be a little bit higher if your volume is not quite as high. Like we expect a little bit of an efficiency drop off if you're a full workhorse. Um, so, so some of that is, is the reason why we're close on fantasy points, even though you've got less overall volume. And again, it speaks to the importance of getting targets in the past game. Like you've got a few more targets and that also helps to make up for, you know, more than X amount of carries. So that's where we're at on Pollard. If Zeke signed there, I'm trying to think what I would do with Pollard. Like I'm really comfortable with him end around two, kind of depending which wide receivers are there, that two, three turn. Um, but if Zeke was there, I don't think it'd be a huge impact, but you mentioned all the the goal line stats on him, Ben. And like it's possible they just do that with him again, which just kind of would suck. Yeah, that would suck. And that's why I'm projecting him back there, though, because if you look, um, Pollard is listed at sub 210. Malik Davis is listed at sub 210. Even Ronald Jones, who I think has put on weight over the years, but when he was coming out, was weighed in sub 210. They don't have a big body. But then Deuce Vaughn's the other guy they brought in. They don't have a big body back. This is also part of why I was mentioning Dak's rush TD stuff and how that weighs in. They were hesitant to use Pollard on the line of scrimmage. Eden Hart has had a really great tweet that of all the backs, I think there was like 13 that had double-digit touchdowns last year. Pollard's average length of TD was the longest. I think he only had a couple that were within 10 yards. I mean, he hits on those home runs. <coughs> Excuse me. But you you have, a, you know, they've been, a, they used him around the line of scrimmage a little. He wasn't very effective. I, I remember this because I had a lot of Pollard last year, wanted him to get some of those touchdowns so that he could steal some of that work from Zeke. Zeke, however, was efficient at converting those touchdowns. It's a really small sample. I don't think Pollard's actually worse than Zeke necessarily around the goal line, but I do think the results would suggest that the Cowboys might believe that, right? Like what we care about is what the team believes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I honestly think when you look at like the size of their backs and in, in their whole backfield and you look at what Zeke did for them last year and the fact that Zeke's still sitting out there and probably not going to get a lot of interest anywhere else, like, and he still wants to play. And they're going to bring him back if they can get him at a cheap deal, right? I think they're just waiting around for Zeke to not get the deal that he's hoping for, and then they get him more cheaply. But to me, it just feels like such a logical thing. And if he comes back, he's coming back for the goal line work, right? Which would be um, would would be a disappointing outcome for Pollard for his you know full season upside. I'm still really excited about Pollard. I think he would be actually more fun to draft if he started to fall into the third. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, it'll be tricky. Yeah. I think again, it wouldn't be a big drop for me if Zeke signed, but it'd be enough that would probably fall into the third for me and I'd be happy to take him there. But 
probably would move him then more firmly behind like Devonta Smith, T Higgins at that two, three turn, make mm-hmm. sure I get that wide receiver first. Whereas right now, like there's some times where I'm like, you know, I'm pure projection. Like I, I get why Pollard's there. So as far as Zeke, you know, I've been taking, he's one of those players that we find these with the free agents where the longer they go without signing, they just, they just fall like no news. People get more worried and they fall and there's no real like upside case to Zeke. I don't think in like a managed league setting, but in best ball, I will take him towards the end. You know, a lot of these picks towards the end are going to be zeros. And if you do think Zeke signs with Dallas, He's probably yeah, I wish I could make fun of that, but everything I just said means he has 10 TD upside in Dallas this year, which I mean, yeah, you're, you're stoked, you're stoked in round 17, you know, yeah. or 16, you know, even 16. Um, yeah, not high, you're not going to win your league with Zeke, but you might get the usable scores that you need to carry you along the way. As a result, I have not been drafting, I like very early on drafted like some Deuce Vaughn, but like I'm really not drafting any of the Dallas backups because I'm worried about Zeke signing. I'm also like kind of think the Deuce Vaughn thing was like a little bit of rookie hype for myself immediately post draft, where I'd actually think like Malik Davis might be more of the backup. They've also got Ronald Jones, who you're you're projecting a little bit. We've got Malik Davis above Rojo. You've got Rojo above Malik. So um short, short way of saying I'm not really drafting any of Malik, Rojo, or Deuce at the moment until I see what happens with Zeke. Yeah, me too. It's not a bet that I want to make in June until we see if, if Zeke signs. I think if we get into August and he still hasn't signed with Dallas and we're at, like, we're approaching preseason games, then these guys will be interesting. Certainly. Um, but for now it's just, you know, I'll, I'll figure out my exposure to the backup situation in Dallas later. Yep. Uh, we'll go to wide receiver. CD lamb had a really strong year. I was a little worried about CD going into last year. Like just, I guess for me, it was like, how good is he really? Like, let's see. Like, I was a little concerned, and he had a really strong season. You know, showed he was capable of handling, you know, the amount of targets that he did. What was the actual target? Do you have, I don't know if you have in front of you, like the actual target number on CD? Um, I don't. I, I have his targets per out run, which were in in the yeah, 21. Yeah, 156 targets. Sorry, go ahead on the targets per out run. Yeah, 21.1, 21.7 his first two years, jumped up to 25.9, which is like a really strong – anything up over 25% at, you know, a, a solid dot like he has. I mean, that was a, a big jump. We we talked a little bit about him last year as having sort of a path similar to Cooper Cup's breakout year. Obviously, wasn't going to hit Cooper Cup's ceiling, but could rise in targets per run, could also rise in routes, which he also did. And he's a very efficient player and has the you know potential at any given year, I think, to have a really strong efficiency season. When Cup really broke out, he hadn't been a full routes guy yet. He hit that peak of routes that year. His targets per run also rose, and he had an efficiency peak and just had you know the greatest receiver season ever. Not that that was ever really in the outcomes for Lamb, but I mention all this because that's how that is a smaller version of that is what Lamb did last year. He did rise both the overall route volume and the targets per route run and continue to be efficient for the third straight year. And after the target efficiency yards per target touchdown, right? Those things. So, I mean, he looks like a legit star now. I mean, he's a guy that I think has the ability any given year with this type of profile to put up a season that does compete with the, the very elites, the Jeffersons and the chases. Yeah. I think the only slight concern I have is not with CD lamb who again, all 
all those upside cases you said, like I was worried about them coming together at the same time. And they did, you know, the routes plus the targets per out run. He's shown us that now it's like, now we got to worry about the coordinator change. And like, in terms of huge, cause you're talking about a guy that's going to end around one. So it's not like, I'm not afraid to take him there, but as far as can he get to that next level, that's sort of the question mark is, will the play calling be enough to provide him the opportunity? And if it's not, does he get even higher in terms of overall target share? It's not a super deep team. So it's possible that he does do that. So I think Glam's ranked, I haven't ranked kind of appropriately. I think we're like one spot positionally behind him. That's because we'll have a fun podcast when we get to the AFC West and I can profess my Devonte Adams love uh, once again. Um, but that's the only reason that's the kind of deviation from the market that bumps him down for us. But yeah, super, not a whole lot more to add, just really solid selection behind that. You've got Brandon cooks and Michael Gallup. You hit on some concerns with Gallup. I think cooks is like a pretty solid pick um, where he's going right now, but he is, you know, this is what his 10th year in the league will be his age 30 season. He's been a lot more durable than I think he gets credit for just because there's been some kind of like, you know, big hits associated with him when he's left, but he's played 12 games or more every single year since his rookie year. So eight straight seasons of that. And, you know, last year was a tough situation in Houston where Houston was just so bad and they couldn't move him. And, he was kind of quiet quitting uh, for, for, for parts. So, you know, it's tough. It's tough to parse. Like, is this a dude aging and falling off or like, was it just a really bad situation last year? And now he's on a team that is way better than he was last year. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be in on him, but what I said earlier about the Gallup stuff, I mean, if you go look, one of the really fascinating things about this team Last year, their number four receiver had 10 targets in volume, in target volume. And that was uh, T.Y. Hilton, who only played three games late in the year. They signed him very late. Jalen Tolbert made no impact. Simi Fahoko made no impact. Kevontae Turbin wasn't really used in a gadget role or whatever, but he was their return guy. It was CeeDee Liam, Noah Brown, and Michael Gallup. And Michael Gallup wasn't good. And and Brown, frankly, wasn't really either. But they stayed full-time throughout all season – they just kept playing the same three receiver core. I think you're going to see that again. I mean, I don't think you can really be super optimistic about Tolbert or about Fahoko or those other guys when they couldn't really crack last year, a, a group that didn't have much in the number two and number three spots. So I think, yeah, I mean, that's a very big positive for Lamb, really consolidating things. And then it's, you know, Cooks or Gallup, they're both going to run a lot of routes. And I was talking about some concerns about Gallup. I think the door's really open for Cooks if he still got it. And I don't think, you know, his yards per out run still fine last year. You mentioned kind of quiet quitting. Wasn't as good as his 2021 season at all, but also like not massively worse than, you know, the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. His, his efficiency was down certainly a little bit. Um, his routes were down because they, they kind of just didn't play him a ton at times because he just wasn't happy to be there. If he comes out in Dallas, he's ready to be there. He's been effective most of the, you know, spots throughout his career. He's been efficient. If he still has that in the tank, like I think he's got plenty of room to be the second option on this. Like there's going to be a lot of volume there for him to get it. He's not competing with a lot of people outside of lamb that are going to keep him from having a strong year. I'm not again, wanting to be super in on an old receiver, but I do, you know, I, I can see the case for cooks. Absolutely. 
I, I get like a little, I mean, it, it's not, there are a lot of clear differences, but I get in terms of how the market feels about wanting to draft him. I get a little bit of like Tyler Lockett vibes from last year where it's like, all right, if you, if you guys are just going to keep ignoring him at a certain point, I'm just going to take like these targets that are going to be there. And then like, maybe you just run into like a better season than you expect, which is kind of what happened with Tyler Lockett was like, well, we had way more systemic concerns about Seattle in general. So that was part of why he fell, but there was also part of like, Oh, he's just boring. Like let's, let's take somebody else. And it's very easy to feel that way about cooks. Like let's take Quentin Johnston at that point, you know, let's take George Pickens. Like these are the guys that he's going around. Um, For sure. Yeah. And then even Gallup, like with the concerns, as you said, though, Ben, like, these guys have to run routes. So he, even him going off at like wide receiver 58 on our dog right now is like fine. Yep. Even if you think he stinks. Cause like, yep. it's just no, I mean, it's, it's just ugly behind them. Like T Y Hilton to your point, like he was a boost to that team, which is just right. outrageous. It's outrageous. But again, the, the issue with Gallup 2020, 1.34 yards per run 2021, 1.37. I mean, Middling targets per run both years, middling yards per target. Just wasn't very good those last couple of years. And then last year it was even worse at 1.00 yards per run coming back from that ACL. So, but you, again, go back to 2019. He was a 2.16 yards per run guy. Anything over two is very strong. He he does have a 2.0 plus yards per run season in his career. His yard, his targets per run and his efficiency, both sides of it were very were career highs that year. Just we're, we're several years removed, but I, I, I'm with you at that price because he's going to run enough routes. He doesn't need to be that guy from 2019. He needs to at least be, you know, a little bit better, I think, than 2020, 2021, but it's probably possible. And, and the same stuff I was just saying about Cooks, the opportunity that's there, it's there for Gallup, too. Yeah. So, as fun as Dallas is to talk about, like a lot of it's kind of like we, we feel great about Lamb where he's going, but like the market does seem like to have these guys priced somewhat appropriately. Like they're fine. You can definitely draft them at their price tags. Uh, tight end is where I've been a little bit below market. I feel like I just haven't landed on much Jake Ferguson or, or Luke Shoemaker late. I know some people had takes there. It does seem like Shoemaker had some hype early in the offseason, and now it feels like it's going to be Ferguson's job. Admittedly, I just like I don't have a lot to say about Ferguson. I guess the question is, does he step in to Dalton Schultz role or was Dalton Schultz like actually right. good? So he earned that role. And, and part of that impacts, you know, our feelings too, about these wide receivers having to, you know, it, this wouldn't affect their routes per se, but it might affect their targets per out run, depending on how much goes to the tight end position. The consolidation of the routes that I was talking about at wide receiver. I mean, if that, that I think it's possible that could be, a team level thing. They want to have a guy that's in these roles. And so if somebody wins a tight end job here, it could be viable. Right. And I think Ferguson, Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot both had about a hundred routes last year. Ferguson was more efficient, earned more volume on his routes as well. Um, so both sides of the yards per run equation was stronger than Hendershot. That's why he's getting more uh, of the incumbents. He's, he's the one that's kind of getting looked at more, I think, than Shoemaker. I, I'm willing to take a few stabs on Ferguson as a result of that. His targets brought run very small sample, but was solid. It was, I think, up over 20%, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm willing to take a couple stabs on him. Junemaker, if you look at his college profile, was a guy who didn't really do anything until his final season. He projects more like a, a really strong athlete, but more of a project at tight end. One of those guys that would probably fit into the mold of, yeah, rookie tight ends don't produce a lot in year one. So, 
Ferguson's a guy that I'm kind of willing to take the swing on for that mm-hmm. reason. If somebody can consolidate, it's probably going to be him in my mind. But um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, it could be split. It, we don't really know how they're going to operate. Let's go to the Giants. I know last year, Ben, we were we really leaned in on the uncertainty here and we're in on the Giants. And it, it was a mixed bag in terms of results. Like Danny Dimes was a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Um, Barkley kind of quietly got there but they didn't throw as much as we had hoped. Part of that was they just had disasters at wide receiver, you know, not just in terms of talent, but like they couldn't even get consistency out of the little talent that they did have. Eventually towards the end of the season, they did start to find something with, with Isaiah Hodgins and, and, um, and Slade in playing better. And we saw it in the playoff game against the Vikings, like they were willing to throw a bit more and, I'm going back to the well a little bit here. This is one of our bigger play calling discrepancies early, and it's not massive, but I have them at about one more play per game than you have them, and I've also got them at a 60.5% called pass rate. You're about two percentage points lower than that. So uh, the result is I've got two and a half more pass attempts per game for the Giants than you do. Did you look at their rates just late? As you were explaining all that and I was listening to it, I think you're making great points. When they finally got the receivers in place that were – a solid trio with Richie James and Hodgins and Slayton, were they more pass heavy down the stretch? And you mentioned in the playoff game, but like, was, are your rates more reflective of that? Uh, let me look that up. If you want to talk a little bit overall while I look up. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so numbers. one thing I want to say on the giants, while you look that up, I think they're a really interesting team. We, we talked about this on last year's shows. We get into some of these teams that help us explain some of the bigger picture concepts that we run into. But I think their running back room and their receiver room are really interesting in terms of things that can happen in projections. With their running backs, we don't really feel great about any of the backups to Barkley. So you get this element where you're like, you can project Barkley for so much volume if you want. Matt Breida is an aging backup. Eric Gray is a day three running uh, a rookie who is 205 pounds and ran a 4.6240. He's not. He's like Gary Brightwell level talent is what it looks like from an athleticism standpoint. He's got a little bit more of a track record as a receiver, but they don't look like they have anyone as a backup that can really compete with Barkley. So you're like, okay, I can consolidate so much volume to Barkley, but that can be a little bit of fool's gold when you're doing um, a projection. And then the receiver room is the opposite. There's so many names here and we'll get into it, but you have like the fifth and sixth and seventh guy that you want to give some volume to and then, I mean, you can't really give anyone a strong target share. Any, I couldn't get anyone even approaching a 20% target share. That doesn't mean that's not possible, though. Some of these guys are probably going to get cut. The routes are probably going to consolidate to some degree. So, like, it's interesting to think about whether the projections play a little bit of a trick on you there where the depth and the fact that you want to project stuff to the fifth and sixth receiver is it really the way that the season can play out? Cause like, if you look at their season in spurts, especially late in the year, last year, they did consolidate like Hodgins and Richard James and those guys, they were like viable plays in the playoff contest because we knew they were going to run the routes at those stages of the season. So it's a, it's, they're an interesting case study. They're, they're two positional groups, both ends of the spectrum. Did you yeah, find if, that's that? Yeah. So if we draw the line in the sand, like Isaiah Hodgins got his first start week 11 against Detroit. It was his third game with the team. He was inactive two weeks prior, played against Houston the week before. Uh, if we draw the line there, first 10 weeks of the season, the Giants had a 52.6% pass rate, average minus 8.8% PROE. From that point on, they had a 63.9% pass rate. Oh, wow. With a 
with the slightly positive 0.2% PROE. That includes the playoff games. Um, so I do think that's who they want to be. Yeah. But they, they also, you know. That I was a pass rate jump their, of like 10 percentage points, right? On, yeah. And part of that's game strip. But even on PROE, it was about a nine-point wow. switch yeah. in PROE. Um, and week 11 through the playoffs, they played two playoff games. That's a sample of nine games? Yeah. So against against Minnesota, their expected pass rate was low because they dominated the game, but they had an expected pass rate of 50% and they actually had a 65% pass rate against the Eagles. They had an expected pass rate of 69%. They threw 67%. It seemed like they went in a shell a little bit against Philly, but it was still only minus 1.9% PROE, you know, in context, they had a few, you know, they had, four games double digit negative PROE a couple in the minus 20s you know the start of the season where it was like they didn't have receivers i think it probably took dimes some time to pick up the offense and they were like in games too so there was those were the games where barkley was kind of getting overloaded with bad volume for a while yeah um so i think there's some optimism there it's hard to your point like you know oh, i'm, I'm going to change I'm, my my number i like your numbers a lot more than mine after hearing the- i'm in on dimes again i think he's going i you know he he with all that he finished maybe some of his rush stuff isn't like super sustainable but like so that's the thing i want to chat about but finish your point yeah he's going off at qb 14 we have him at qb 11 like i still think he's one of the better bets out there like i think he's he's got a ton of and you've actually pulled his rush stuff back quite a bit which is uh and you still have him pretty high because i have him higher than you and i know i pulled it back his rush attempts per game last year were way up, 7.5 versus a pr- uh, previous career high of 5.6. And he's played multiple seasons. That was 5.6 was his previous career high. So almost two attempts per game higher than that. I think that kind of probably, I mean, it was a contract year last year, right? And then they, they decide they want to commit to him long term. I, I think it's kind of interesting. What my take on him was sort of, how interesting you think he might be as a mid-round QB is probably how much you buy that that rush attempt bump going up. And it, it was both his scramble rate and his designed rush rate was up a ton. And they might still do a lot of that design stuff. I don't know. I think it was, you know, it was it certainly a part of their offense and something they baked in. But again, like, do they try to protect him a little bit more now that they've committed to him? They've committed to him for at least two years, a lot of uh, dead money into 2024. Um, but to, to hear you say that, and you guys have it projected a little bit of a different way, a little bit more pass heavy. You do have his, his rushes pulled back even more than me, and you still have him as a value at QB14. That's very interesting to me. We have a kind of a different outlook on their whole team. Um, the rushing not as important if the, the team level stuff that you described happens. Yeah. And you so you've kind of got outs too. Like if he runs again, great. If he doesn't, but they throw more, also great. If you think he just sucks, like it could be bad, right? Like, um, you know, we we went down the I, I went down with Zach Wilson last year where I was like, you know, the price is good enough and the setup's good enough, and Zach Wilson just couldn't do it. So I mean, obviously we feel bad about Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson, but there's still a certain level of like, is he actually good, right? That that is important here. But yeah, I I think it's I think he's got more juice than uh than Dak in terms of upside of where it could go on their team setup. So I'm into to Daniel Jones, uh, one of my favorite QB values. Again, it's hard, like especially if you're drafting best ball right now, where it's like 
off of stacking. It's like, who do you stack him with and stuff? And I don't think you have to stack him quite as heavily because, again, you still do have that rushing component. But, yeah, um, getting to the running back spot, we were chatting a little bit ahead of time, Ben, about how it was hard not to just overload Saquon with volume, right? Like Matt Breida was the backup last year. Looks like he's going to be the backup again this year. They do have a rookie in Eric Gray that could be there, but Breida's, or Barkley's just going to get a ton of work. I'm hopeful that the offense is a little bit better from the jump this year. They have lots of those games where they like really grinded him with like low value touches. And we kind of, he gets as many high value touches in last year. Maybe, maybe they can keep a little bit fresher all year long. Uh, he seemed like he had a little bit more juice when they started to scale back the raw carries the second half of the year. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and well, we were, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful for that too. What we were talking about with the, with the volume is just, I mean, he's going to look great in a projection and I do think that's telling us something like they're going to give him as much work as he can possibly handle. I do think there's something actionable there. And yet, assuming he doesn't hold out that we have that other little risk, right. But like, it seems like he's probably going to play. Um, but the, uh, the, the concern I have a little bit on the, like the way that projections work is like some of the teams that actually have a viable backup that you want to project a little volume to um, suddenly Saquon just looks better in the projection because he doesn't have a backup because the depth chart looks so thin or like he doesn't have like a viable backup to take some percentages off his, you know, his rushing workload or whatever. It's just a little bit easier. And therefore I think I'm projecting him for, you know, one of my highest rush attempt totals of any running back in the entire NFL, because it's just a little bit easier to push all that volume onto a player who's really good. There's not a ton of running backs that are as talented as Saquon, but it is just a little note for people who are doing their own projections. Maybe they're doing their own projections for the first time. Like there are these situations where you wind up more optimistic in the projection. And if you stand back and think about it, it's probably more about whether or not Saquon can actually handle this month, this many touches I'm projecting him for, you know, almost what, what do I got? Like 325 plus touches. And you guys are, are yeah. close to that too. I mean, it's a lot of touches. Yeah, it is a lot of touches. And too, you got to like, when you think about the ceiling case too, what, like we kind of give people a ceiling case, like this is what their volume could be in a ceiling case, like odds of hitting that ceiling. And sometimes with a player like Saquon, we'll actually scale back a little bit the odds of hitting the ceiling just because we're kind of like baking in that like our base projections already kind of there right like right like he's all you know like there's only so much more room for him to go you know um yeah it might sound counterintuitive because he's like closer to the ceiling and base but am i lagging at all just it seemed like i was lagging a little bit just want to check with you if, no, no i'm good okay good. awesome but yeah, I, I'm st I'm pretty into Saquon in the second round. I guess like, it comes down to like if you're scared about that like volume being just like a bit of a, a false signal, Ben, or if you're into Saquon, he's going. I'm still into him. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really saying I, I'd be uh, afraid to take him. He's going in the early second, right? Yeah, yeah, he's going mid second right now. I've got yeah. him. You know, you're splitting hairs, but I've got him RB4 and he, the market has him RB6. So I really kind of like the receivers in that range. We talked a little bit about Garrett Wilson on the last show. Talked about Amon Ra. They, they go a little bit higher, but they can fall sometimes. But Waddle goes in there and Alave goes in there. I find myself taking those guys more. But if they do go off the board or if I want to get a little bit of a different exposure, I have no problem taking Barkley, you know, behind them. I, I'd probably take those receivers over Barkley in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I, yeah, that's very close. I think probably I would, especially knowing how drafts are playing out right now. Whereas right. Like, if I'm in an FFPC league where I know I can still load up on wide receiver, maybe, maybe I'm taking Barkley and going hero RB there. If I'm an underdog where I'm worried that like an RB value is going to fall in the end of the third, you know, I'd rather I, I think I said to you guys, like I had one where I took Barkley and ended up taking like Ridley very early in the third. So I had to go receiver. I was like, I much would have rather had Waddle and the falling running back value in the third than Barkley right. and, and Ridley. Um, but I will take Barkley ahead of like Olave and Higgins um, is, is kind of where I'm at. Yeah, that's where he belongs for sure. And I agree with you on the, on the, I, I'm definitely thinking underdog brain where for sure I can get running back value later. The, I don't think there's much to say at backup running back, at least right now. I think this is a backup running back spot that if there's a clear RB2 closer to the season, we get into like peak managed league draft season. I might, you know, I'm just stockpiling guys on my bench. But right now for best ball, I'm not drafting any other Giants running backs. I'm not either. Well, how are you approaching the receivers? Because there's <laughs> oh, how are we? Yeah, we don't even have them all listed. The It's a nightmare. It is a nightmare. So the receivers we have listed right now to talk about because um, we we just kind of our sheet set up for the primary four because usually that's <laughs> what we need. Uh, Wandale Robinson, Darius Slayton, Jalen Hyatt, Paris Campbell. But this team also signed Jamison Crowder. And they I just saw a clip of someone being like Sterling Shepard's back and looks great. <laughs> I mean, it's outrageous. Um, right. And Isaiah Hodgins is still there. Yeah, Hodgins, who honestly, I think like in the ETR, among the ETR people, value-wise, I think he's our favorite of the bunch, right. um, is Isaiah Hodgins. So what we're up to seven guys um, mm-hmm. that legitimately, you you don't, there's seven guys and you don't know the order. Um, right. So, I'm very, I mean, go ahead. I'm like... I don't, and a lot of these guys have overlapping skill sets too, right? Like, yeah. you, like Sterling, Shepard, Wandale, and Crowder. Like, yep. I, I want to be in I, Wandale, but I think I think that's the goal. I think Dable's trying to sort of get depth at different positions, and obviously they also brought in Darren Waller this year. Um, and I I think it's possible he plays outside some this year, and it's kind of viewed, and they use uh, Bellinger as the inline tight end on those formations, not always, but. They used 12 personnel, 25% of their first downs last year. It's a pretty solid rate. It wouldn't be that surprising to me if they were using both the tight ends together, kind of splitting out Waller as like I to me, him and Hodgins are similar, the ways that we were using Hodgins last year. Then they have Hyatt and Slayton as our deep threats, are both similar skill sets. And then yeah, the guys you mentioned, Paris Campbell, Wandale, Crowder, and and Shepard. I mean, they are they're all sort of like these smaller slot receiver types. If you look at their contracts, Slayton got a way bigger deal than Shepard to come back this year. They both re-signed this offseason. Slayton got two years. He got a $3.5 million signing bonus. Shepard got only one year, no guarantees. It seems like with some of the injury stuff that they didn't have to give a lot to get Shepard to come back, and he has been making waves. But he's so much easier to release that I'm, I'm kind of thinking he won't make the team. And then Crowder's another one that's an easy cut. Paris Campbell got 1.5 mil at signing. But even if you think, if you look at that, that, those contracts, Campbell and Slayton and buy that, it's still hard to parse with Wandale and Jalen Hyatt, who are day two picks in the last two years, both on their rookie deals. The current coaching staff and, and GM front office picked both of these guys. And those, I mean, they're on 
cheap deals, rookie deals, like they're theoretically cuttable, but they I don't think they want to cut them. They like Wandale and Jalen Hyatt, I think. That's why they brought them in. Yeah. And then Hodgins, who they brought Dable brought over from Buffalo, still on his rookie deal. And people have talked about he's very cuttable. He is from a contract perspective, but he was good. he's their best returning receiver, maybe. He was really good down the stretch last year. Him and Slayton. So it's it, it is. It's incredibly difficult to parse. Yeah. The and the way you're you're talking about it makes me think too, like with Shepard and Crowder, might maybe they're just like, hey, let's get these guys in case Wandale's not ready for the start of the season. Uh, you know, coming back from the ACL. And maybe it's like when Wandale is ready, one of those guys is out. It seems unlikely they'd have all three of those guys. It just seems like a weird dynamic in the room to have all three of those guys. Right. Um, but yeah, Wandale, I'm curious how he popped in your stuff. It seemed like he was starting to become like that really high targets per out run guy that we had hoped. And then, you know, he had that one huge target game that maybe he's being overweighted in my mind when I say that. But he's pretty cheap. Slayton's basically free. Everyone's kind of worried about him because it seemed like they didn't want him last year and then they like had to play him and then he was good when they played him. Um, mm-hmm. Hyatt seems a little overvalued to me. We're just worried about him as a prospect in general and it's not like yep. it was the best draft capital. So I he really came out of kind of a gimmicky role in a gimmicky offense was the, was the take. I'm, I'm not really playing Hyatt. Because I mean, like, I, I hope I don't miss on that. I usually play the rookies for uncertainty and upside, but I guess I think he's maybe one coming from a different type of offense, might need some time to pick up the offense, might not get used, especially in managed leagues. I just I don't think he's probably gonna see a lot of routes early. I know Levitan actually tweeted out recently and, and threw caveats caveats on it that like, look, they have a lot of receivers, that's probably why this is happening, but that he was there was a report that he was playing with the third team a little bit high it, which that's it's early in camp and they have a ton of guys. And that's probably why, like he had said, but that is the kind of thing. It was confirmation bias to me where I'm like, I do think they might bring him along a little more slowly. Um, especially cause they just gave Slayton, like I said, the, the guaranteed money. And I do think those guys are probably in a similar role, especially if you think about it from an ADOP perspective. I mean, there's a lot of talk about that. Who's the X receiver. Who's the Y receiver. I, I think about it a lot in terms of we drop these plays who, where, where do the depths get attacked? Because, you know, you can have the outside receiver or the slot guy attack downfield. It's just, you know, it would be different in different formations, but the way that they drop the plays, you do need to be able to attack different areas of the defense. The way I think about it is like, okay, when you have Slayton on the field, he's the guy that's usually attacking vertically. And it's probably the same case for, for Hyatt. And so I think of those guys as sort of overlapping Waller and Hod- uh, uh, Hodgins. I mentioned, they're more like intermediate guys and you have sort of like underneath guys, Campbell, Wandale, etc. You're probably not going to have like Campbell, Wandale, and Crowder all on the field at the same time because then they're all just sort of like under low eight. Yeah, what are you doing? So it doesn't make sense. So I mean, you're probably going to get some mix of that. My biggest question is like, can these guys consolidate? Because part of me is saying late in these drafts, they're maybe worth going after because if somebody like Wandale or whoever consolidates volume, um, that they could be one of the few late round targets that has a hundred target potential at wide receiver then the other side of me is going well are they going to just kind of rotate these guys a lot are they going to play a lot of these dudes because there are so many there i mean i is it is it it almost feels like a low probability bet to even get the right guy right and so should i just be avoiding giants altogether because what's the point you know like i don't know how do you how do you parse that no i mean that's that's the dynamic and it's really difficult i think for me the two guys i'm most on 
Like Hodgins just seemed like he flashed a little bit in the last year, and he's really cheap. So I like Hodgins at like, you know, what's it like thirty picks after Hyatt? Um, Hyatt's starting to fall as like all the rookies are. He's down to like one sixty one, but Hodgins is at one eighty. So it's like a twenty pick gap. Just kind of prefer Hodgins, and then Wandell intrigues me just because I think like if I want to get a better read on his health and where he's at um, coming back from the torn ACL. But if you felt good about his health, he's the guy I could see most emerge just getting, you know, peppered with some some targets. You know, Cole Beasley was always great in that role for Buffalo. Um, could could see Wandell that with a little bit more pop. So those are the two I've been targeting. You know, once in a while I'll take Hyatt way after ADP. Slayton, I'm just worried that they like just aren't in on Slayton, even though he has played well and does have the big playability. So sort of how I'm breaking it out, but you are right. Like I know it's tough. I guess the benefit for wide receiver later is if these guys are at least on the field, you can get some spike weeks. Like if they're throwing more and they're a little bit better that even if they are like 12% target share guys, cause they're rotating, like you could still, as long as they're playing, like you can still run into some weeks that you're using. And again, to your point, Ben, like managed league stuff, you're probably not taking a stab yeah. here, right? Like maybe one just in a full PPR league where like, if it just breaks the right way and he's super high targets per out run. But other than that, it's tough to see like the real high end upside from Hyatt. Like he's just not going to command enough volume. I'm with you on all those player takes. The The frustrating thing is to see that Paris Campbell's been a guy that's been doing well in practice early. Cause it's like, okay, I mean, if, I hadn't even thought of Paris Campbell. Yeah, I was like, there's always something to deal with Paris Campbell. <laughs> it is absurd oh, though. So but um, Waller was interesting. He's a, he's a little bit more pricey, but I do like him. Come, I mean, they they brought him in for a reason. I I mean, everyone everyone gets brought in for a reason, but he hasn't played a ton in line the last few years. Was in the slot a lot last year. Um, I want to pull those numbers up, but I mean, he still looks like he still has some talent. He's been a little bit banged up, but yeah, slot sixty two percent of the time last year. Um, and out wide at least 20% of his snaps every year of his career so far was only in line 17% last year. I mean, I think they'll probably have him in line a little bit more than that. It's a different offense, you know, et cetera. But I do think it could have been sort of a smart, you know, uh, sabermetrics type of move. Like, oh, hey, wide receiver contracts are through the roof. Let's get, a you know, an athletic tight end on a cheaper deal, but we'll, we'll just play him at wide receiver. Like as, as yeah. far as the free agent moves – they added a lot of depth all over the place at wide receiver, but part of me is thinking they, they're adding him as like a, hey, we're going to use you as a pass catcher. That's why you would add Darren Waller. And I do think he's the one that I want to be in on that could really consolidate volume. Yeah, I think he's a decent bet too. And you know, depending on your drafts, that's also kind of a spot where wide receiver starts to get a little shakier. Like you're still in the wide receiver window, but it's, you know, you're starting to get if you're in a wide receiver hungry room, which some of these happen, you're starting to get into guys like maybe Michael Thomas, um, you know, Zay flowers, which aren't like bad picks, but you know, it's a definitely a drop off from when you're taking like kind of like the Gabe Davis tier ahead, at least in my opinion. And that's where like Waller might slot in for sure. Yeah. So I'm in on Waller. Let's go to Philly who, yeah, we were excited about Philly last year. They hit in a big way. And again, this is where, the projections help give us an idea on range of outcomes. Like if you were purely drafting on projections, probably didn't have a lot of Philly, but understanding where it could go. Like we, we were reading the signs, Ben, that, you know, they trade for AJ Brown and looking at how the PROE had shook out the year before. 
this team wants to play more aggressive than it showed at the end of 2021. And they, they certainly did. And I think, again, we could see a jump in pass rate just because the game script is probably not likely to be as You're just going to get some regression in game script, right? Like they rolled last season. So that's good for Hertz if he's going to drop back more. They did not also make any sort of ruling against the uh, tush push play for QB sneaks, which is, you know, hard to bake into the projections, but that's a pretty big deal as far as rushing touchdown upside for Hertz. Like he's going to get some freebie rushing touchdowns. Um, So he's, yeah, I think he's the QB one overall over Allen and Mahomes. Um, I'm really in on Hertz. We've got from a play calling perspective, we're both around, 65 plays per game. I've got them a little bit past heavier at 58.6%. You have 57%, but we're pretty close overall, right around 32 pass attempts uh, per game and just under uh, 31 rush attempts per game. And we're both regressing that from last year where, I mean, they were very healthy last year. It's one of the things that you see with teams have great seasons like they did last year. Um, but yeah, they ran a lot of plays. Their pass rate was a little bit lower because they were leading in a lot of games. They won 14 games. Um, so we're, we're bringing the play volume down a little bit, pass rate up. You have brought the play volume down a little bit more than me, pass rate even higher than me. And I, I like that. I think your numbers are probably solid there. I didn't really know how far to move on that, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, it'll be interesting. They, they're another team very concentrated in their, uh, data from last year. I mean, they just... Um, they had only four receivers that got a target all season last year, four wide receivers and four tight ends and three running wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's an insane stat. Uh, you never see stuff like that. AJ Brown, Devonta Smith consolidated a ton of volume. I've long been a huge AJ Brown fan. Love him. Everything I was saying, excited about CD lamb earlier. I think I would have lamb over Brown straight up. And that's not how ADP is shaken out early. Because Brown is the opposite. Where I was saying Lamb, I think, has this ability to have a season that can compete with Jefferson Chase. Brown last year, to me, got everything he could get out of this current offense. I mean, unless Devonta Smith has a major injury where Brown gets even more. But, like, this is a little bit more of a run team. It's not going to be a team that's going to throw a ton. They're going to be good. They're not going to need to throw a massive amount, even though we're, we are scaling it up again. I like Brown a lot, but I mean, again, with the point I'm trying to make with the four wide receivers getting a target last year is that things were very concentrated last year, about as concentrated as you can get. Um, that a lot of things can happen in an NFL season where things don't go as well as they did. Goddard missed five games, which is another thing that helped you know the wide receivers continue to consolidate. Um, but yeah, things went about as well as they can go in an NFL season for those guys. It's just. It, it feels like what they did last year is closer to the, to the peak of the range of outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can definitely see that. I guess the, the bull case for me would be that they're just in tighter games and have to throw more and hopefully that they stay healthy and have to throw more. You could see, see some higher end outcomes. Um, I did mention, you know, I have Hertz as a QB one overall in our ranks. I think we have Allen actually technically one slot higher. I mean, all those guys are really good. I just, have an affinity for Hertz, I guess. Um, going he's to definitely in that tier now. I mean, last last year in draft season, he wasn't obviously. I'm with you. I think he's right there. I checked when you said that. I think I have Allen slightly ahead of him in my projections too, but he's right there. He's right there. Yeah, the running back group is interesting, right? Like 
Miles Sanders had a really strong fantasy season, you know, despite getting vultured at times, despite having like almost no role in the past game. And that's because you've got an offense that, as you said, Ben was really healthy. They put up a bunch of points. You're playing with a mobile quarterback. That's going to help rushing efficiency. They bring in Rashad Penny trade for Deandre Swift. They've still got Kenny Gainwell. I mean, they've got some upside in this backfield. It's kind of tough to parse out who it's going to be. And also there's not a ton of running back targets, um, which, you know, limits the upside a little bit. We ended up pretty close on Swift. You've got 136 carries. We have 121. We each have 41 targets overall. That nets out pretty close in fantasy points. You've got 157 PPR. We've got 147. Um, as far as Penny goes, very close. Again, you've got 122 PPR points. We've got 119. We're a little higher on Gainwell overall. Um, I think you know, it's tough to know like Gainwell, maybe he just keeps his role from last year, despite these, these additions. And he was kind of useful at times in that role. And I, I, I kind of like him at the end of best ball drafts, but circling back to the guys, Swift and Penny, I've been out on Swift, despite like buying his talent in general, another case where the price tag is slowly coming down to a point where I'm starting to get him a bit more. And yeah, I just think like at the right tag, I'm investing in the talent and an offense that has given us RB production even without the huge running back target volume. Curious what you think in terms of can Swift demand more running back targets because he's so good at earning running back targets? Or do you think this is like that role for Philadelphia is just never going to see that many targets? Um. I think the key of everything you just said there is how valuable the running back production is. Miles Sanders was really good last year, but a big part of that, again, is you have a really good offensive line and you have a mobile quarterback, which you emphasized. Jalen Hurts led the NFL in design rushes last year, 123 to 89 was Justin Fields in second place, way ahead of any other quarterback. And that threat, I think, really impacts the running efficiency. They use Hurts so much in intentional running situations the defenses have to be even more i think there's like like i'm basically making a case that there's scales to the impact that rushing quarterbacks can give to running backs and hurts is like at the top of that scale with lamar jackson probably the way this, that they use him in their running game really helps their running backs so you want to be in on these guys collectively how i mean how to play it is tough i i really like penny because he's always been really efficient in seattle which is a, you know been a good spot, spot for running backs but you get an efficient running back. He's now in a, in a really great spot for rushing efficiency. I do think at the price you're getting him at, especially in best ball, when you don't have to you know deal with the injuries, you're just like anytime he pops, I get him in my lineup. That's great. Swift, I'm with you. A little bit pricier, a little bit tougher. The RB target stuff. I go back to the RPO stuff that we've alluded to. Like I think some of the times they're throwing um, to their early option like the thing with the rpos is the lineman can't get downfield so you either throw to your first read or you're giving you're giving the handoff it's a you know it's a run pass option and i think the reason that a lot of the targets consolidate in guys like aj brown and devonta smith is because it's the rpo stuff that the decisions they're making the reads it's either a run or the ball's coming out and going to that player it's not that player and then reading out the pass play and then dumping off to the running back that's not happening that's happening but not as much they run a they run one of the highest rates of rpos in the league and so that's why I think the, the targets consolidated the other positions. Just 11.6% of their targets went to running backs last year. 
and they had a really high rate of wide receiver targets, 65%. And I think that's a tough thing for Swift to change just by being DeAndre Swift. I think he's a good receiver. They'd probably like to use him in the receiving game. I do have the running back target rate coming up, but 11% is really low. I mean, you want to see like 20% running back targets to be really in on the running back receiving upside. I have it back up to like 14.5% with Swift getting, I think like at least half of the targets, more than half of the targets for all the running backs. But Gainwell's going to get some targets, right? I have Penny getting a dozen. Like Boston Scott could get a few. I have a hard time seeing the upside for Swift in the passing game. Um, yeah, he can, he can he can add stuff as a runner too, with all the ways that I was you know just describing the rushing efficiency. So I, I want to take some of him, but I agree with you, he's tough at price. Yeah, we've got him with an eight percent target share. I guess if I was trying to be real bullish on Swift, it would be like, well, maybe because of his talent, he can get to twelve percent, which is kind of low for his skill set, but would be really high for a running back in this offense. But yeah, it, it's tricky. Both Swift and Penny, you know, I see the ceiling cases. I don't know the odds of them hitting the ceiling case because they're like talented, you know, they're dynamic players in an offense that's going to be really good. Uh, Penny, I've heard like some cut risk floated. I don't know how legit that actually is. We yeah, haven't really been, we haven't really been buying it, but I know. You know, it's been floated out there. I don't know. It was floated by a non-reputable beat writer. So <laughs> it was like and a guy who does not have good takes. Um, but okay. I had, you know, seen it in a couple spots. I don't think it's really that. I'm still drafting him. Like if I really thought he was going to get caught, I, I wouldn't be drafting him. You know, like um, I think like Rojo last year, like I was like, I'm not touching him in like round 11 right now where like I'm drafting Penny around, you know, round 11 or 12 still. Yeah. It is just a reminder though, not a huge investment in him this off season. He got some guaranteed money, but then Deandre Swift, I've heard mentioned as like, you know, they traded a draft pick for running back and this is a team that doesn't invest in backs. My argument there is like they traded that draft pick. That's a 2025 pick. And they, if you know, Swift walks this off season might actually be able to get a comp pick back it'll probably be later than the pick they traded but it might end up being like a 2025 pick swap when all said and done they're they're thinking ahead of the game i think a little bit there so i don't know they really give up a ton to get swift either they're just a smart team right they 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 make smart moves like this let's go to wide receiver you know a little bit of tyreek hill waddle vibes you know if you listen to our first episode ben you talked about like we we don't care exactly like who's wide receiver one or not. Yep. And here, you know, you've got AJ Brown for 268 PPR points, Devonta Smith for 242. We've got a very similar ratio, 252 for AJ Brown, 225 for Devonta. Part of me even wants to slide, you know, a little bit more Devonta's way. We've got a 10 target gap in favor of AJ Brown. You know, there were stretch, I think, I mean, they were really tight in targets over the duration of the season. So, I don't have a lot of AJ Brown in my early drafts. He's going so early. I really do like him, but he's going so early and I end up with a decent amount of Devonta Smith where I'm like two, three turn. Give me that, you know, over a running back at that point in time. Um, but both these guys, I think are like, they're going to produce for fantasy. It's going to be concentrated. It's going to be efficient. Yep. Completely agree. And I like Goddard. Same same deal. I think it's going to concentrate on him too. He's the one that's like a more palatable price, right? Honestly, but I, I still will take some AJ Brown and some Devonta Smith. I'm not like out on these guys. 
Um, yeah, it's just pricey. I do think it's going to concentrate, like you said. The um, any like round eighteen Quez Watkins. Um, I love Quez, but just because of what I was saying with RPOs and stuff, I mean, I just it, it's tough. Like he didn't get a lot of work. I could I could see throwing him on the backs of stacks. I've I've thought about it. Um, I have not pulled that trigger a ton, but it is something to to think about. You mentioned Goddard as the easiest price tag. Uh, one of the few season-long prop bets we put out so far. We rarely take overs in the season-long prop market, but we did take over 600.5 receiving yards on Goddard. Uh, tight end injuries are definitely higher than um, other positions, but you know Goddard, we've got for 92 targets. We've got for 100 targets. We've got him you know, somewhere between 800 and 900 receiving yards. Just seems really solid with the concentration yeah, in, in this offense. Like, you know, he's a lot of times these tight ends in his in this range are like really risky. But I think this year, like Goddard and Waller might not be quite as risky as sometimes some of the tight ends that in the past that have gotten pushed up in this range. Agreed. Yeah, I, I like this middle round of tight ends, late single digit round a lot more this year than than we have had in the last few years let's go to washington and a team that's really tough to project um play calling we basically have them around league average plays per game 63 and a half we both have them right around a 58 percent pass rate um when everything's netted in the end we have 31.9 pass attempts per game 29 rush attempts per game you're slightly lower on pass attempts slightly higher on rush attempts um, part of that is like maybe scramble rate, I think. Um, but the, they're difficult Ben, for a few reasons. One, the quarterback, we don't know exactly who it's going to be. It looks like it's probably going to be Howell. two. We have a new coordinator switch. We have the enemy coming over, which could be like a really big change for them. And then even if you look at their offense last year, it was kind of a tale of two halves based on what was happening. Um, you know, at times they were a little bit past happy and high, high pace out of the gate towards the end of the season, they were a little bit more run heavy. And I'm going to pull up those exact numbers here, but in terms of PROE, um, you know, like the last from week 10 on, they were basically double digit PROE in, in ne double digit negative PROE every week. Um, whereas earlier in the season, they're a little bit past happier. So, um, and all that might be totally irrelevant with the enemy coming over and a new quarterback. So difficult to parse. Definitely. And if it is Howell, I mean, they could be slow for that reason, just because he's a young quarterback. Um, it's tough. They they did run a decent number of plays. I go back to a year Rivera was in Carolina when Kyle Allen was a quarterback and they were like a four and 12 team, I think, but they were top five in play volume that year too. Rivera has led a couple of these offenses that have been that have played a little faster. Um, I don't know that he's like, he's probably more of a conservative coach. Like we joke about the Riverboat Ron name, like he's he's a lot more conservative than that nickname would would imply. But um, he has had a couple of like sort of bad teams that have been somewhat interesting for fantasy over his head coaching career that have at least given me hope about this team. Sam Howell is. A guy that I I like, um, Sean Siegel, my my co-host on Stealing Bananas likes. Um, we've talked about him a lot over there. He's a guy that was a really high, uh, highly touted quarterback prospect out of high school. Good quarterback uh, 
and and basically a, a straight quarterback, passing quarterback as a freshman and sophomore at UNC. And then his junior year, he loses Javante Williams, Michael Carter, um, Deami Brown to the NFL. And his passing numbers come down a little bit, but he also runs this year for 800 yards and 11 touchdowns all of a sudden. First two seasons, he had like under 200 yards rushing combined, but he becomes this scrambling quarterback and shows that he can win multiple ways. Um, and it was kind of confusing why he fell as far as he did in the NFL draft. He falls to the early fifth. We don't know how you know committed Washington is early in the offseason. They talked a lot about playing him. More recent comments have you know, implied that they might be willing to play Jacoby Brissett. I don't know where they're going to go on that. Uh, but I do think the offense has more upside with Howell. Brissett was good with the Browns last year, but if you go back and look through the rest of his, you know, his career, that was his best career season. He's been on four different teams in the last four seasons now. He's basically bounced around. He was with Miami the year before. He was with Indy prior to that. Now he's here in Washington. He has never started for the same team two years in a row. When he started sometimes in Indy, they found different answers the next year. Um, teams that he's even played well for have tended to ship him off. He looks like a backup quarterback who had a decent year with the Browns last year. I don't think he's going to elevate the ceiling of this offense. Howell's the one that I think gives you a little bit of hope. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a tough offense to predict and and figure out what's going to happen. Yeah. And you know, how we see the uncertainty. One of the biggest discrepancies in our projections is like the efficiency on how we have him at a 59% completion rate right now, 6.5 yards per attempt you're a little bit higher on both completion percentage and yards per attempt and how that shakes out. And, you know, that funnels through to the projections for everybody. So yeah. it'll, it'll be interesting how seems like a decent late round upside bet, but the I mobility also, could be key for him if he does play. Yeah. So you can see where he has legitimate upside for a late round quarterback bet at the same time. Like sometimes it's hard to make late round quarterback bets on guys that like, you don't know for sure are going to be, the for starter, sure. right? It's just like, you know, I've talked, Karain's talked about that too. Like, is is that just a losing battle in general if you just avoided yeah. all those guys? Um, and I don't know. I've taken some Howell though. But yeah, going to the running back position, this is the year I get even on Antonio Gibson. I feel it. Uh, Gibson's, been, <laughs> Gibson's been one of my favorite picks this year. I think early on, in particular, the draft season, the Washington running backs as a whole were just undervalued with people kind of anchoring the, to the ranks they had prior to the NFL draft and after, and they just didn't do a lot. They brought in Chris Rodriguez, a rookie, but, and he might, you know, get some play. It's a new coaching staff. They brought him on, but, you know, just listening to some of the things they've said early on, I feel good about Gibson. I think Robinson, we've both got Robinson for over 200 carries. So we think he's going to carry the rock. It's just, he was extremely inefficient as a rusher last year. We don't have him for a lot of targets. I think he's okay where he goes in drafts, but it's not like that's typically not the bet that you're trying to make, right? You kind of want 205 carries, 12 targets last year. I mean, that's a that's just a run heavy. And you mentioned inefficient as a runner on top of it. Yeah, we want either efficiency upside. So think Rashad Penny in the ground game, or we want target upside. Um, and he doesn't really have either right now. I guess the hope would just be that, you know, the efficiency's volatile and it comes back, but I prefer Gibson right now, especially in a full PPR format. Yeah. I mean, the, the other case maybe would be without McKissick there that 
some of the targets shift back to Robinson from last year. But the way I'm looking at it is there's no real case for a, a second receiving running back. Um, Chris Rodriguez is the third running back. Looks like he's a bigger back, very limited college receiving profile. Um, it looks like Gibson's going to have most of the running back routes to himself last year when he lost sort of the early down work to Robinson. What that meant was he, he actually, they actually had him like splitting out wide a little bit, running some routes down the field. He made some nice plays too. He played some receiver in college. Um, I kind of like that for him, especially if Robinson's just going to be taking a lot of the low value touches and kind of inefficient plotting runs and Gibson over time could potentially take more of the rushing as well. If he's making some explosive plays and it just becomes kind of clear throughout the year that he has more explosiveness to his game, which if you look at their athletic profiles kind of feels like the reality of it. So I'm right with you, man. I, I have not taken Robinson. I take a decent amount of Gibson. That's the way that I want to play this bet. Wide receiver. We've each got Terry McLaurin around 120 targets and about 200 PPR points per game. We're pretty close on Jahan Dotson too, around 100 targets and about 170 PPR points total. So I think I said per game. I meant total. That would be a record. 200 that points. Would be per a game. Record. That would be a record. Uh, 200 total PPR points, and then for Dotson, around 170 total PPR points. I was drafting these guys heavily early. I did get a little scared. I think I'm a little more squeamish on how at quarterback than you are in terms of the, the passing sure. efficiency. But McLaurin's definitely in a spot of drafts right now where it's like i don't know we you know the drop off from him is then you've got like chris godwin marquise brown and there's like basically are you taking mclaurin or are you taking a running back kind of at that point yep. in drafts and i've opted for mclaurin a decent bit uh dotson is someone i want to get your take on for sure because you're you know really good with the young wide receiver profiles and parsing that out and sophomore wide receivers are often really strong bets. I was kind of hot on him to start. He had, he had a weird season, you know, it's hard to divvy up the yards per route run, but it did seem like that improved towards the latter half of the season when he returned from, you know, a short absence in the middle of the year. Yeah. So he had, I mean, he wasn't in a great full season TPRR range, but like, if you look at his game log, he had a really quiet stretch after he missed five games, he caught just two balls on four targets over three games after he came back from injury. And he was playing decent snaps in each, but like it's just a weird little blip in his game log. When you look at the rest of his profile, I mean, I can I feel like I can caveat the negatives. His his route sample isn't huge, so like I'm I'm not that concerned about his targets per route run not being like amazing. He was very efficient, which is important. Like after earning the volume, he was efficient uh, yards per target. He scored a bunch a bunch of touchdowns for his you know for his target level. His touchdown rate was very high. And then he closed the season well, which is typically a really great sign. It was just that weird little, you know, mid-season stretch. So I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. And one mm -hmm. of the things I would say about this past game, and one of the reasons that like getting Sam Howell right is kind of important, is this is another one that feels very concentrated. Their their guy that they usually use as sort of a fourth receiver the last couple of years was Cam Sims. He's gone now. Deami Brown has not really been able to crack the rotation here. He's their fourth receiver now. I don't think there's. I mean, this looks like a team that could get really concentrated with their routes. I even think at tight end, Logan Thomas, who I haven't really taken, but um, if he can consolidate the routes and stay healthy, he hasn't been able to stay healthy really the last couple of years, but they didn't add anything else to tight end. They still have John Bates and Cole Turner behind him. Like it could be the same sort of 11 personnel on every single route that we see in some offenses. It's, it reminds me a little bit of Jacksonville last year where they had 
basically Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram running like every route. And then those guys had some random spike weeks, but they weren't all very consistent, but they, they all ended up pretty productive at their costs. Now, the big part of that was that Trevor Lawrence overperformed, you know, relative to the year prior that, that he played at. You need Howell to be good and you need the offense to elevate. But this the, the, the routes could really concentrate here in a way that I would be excited. I like Dotson's profile a lot. I haven't taken McLaurin a lot in his career, but he's another one for the reasons you said in that range. I've definitely taken a few times. And then Curtis Samuel is the third guy that I think late, as cheap as he is, he's a great bet for this year. Zay Jones, like he's going to run a lot of routes, and if they're a better passing offense than the market expects, he could end up having some, you know, some exciting moments. He's been good at times. Curtis Samuel was a little bit buzzier last year, and actually had a decent start to the season. Got a little banged up midseason, but yeah, I think those three receivers are going to run like all the routes. That's what they basically did last year, and there's not really a case for any other receiver to cut into that. Yeah, I like that call. We're like Samuel is definitely one of the late wide receivers we're furthest ahead of ADP on. Uh, tight end, I haven't drafted any Logan Thomas just because, you know, kind of age durability concerns. Um, mm-hmm. But from a role perspective, it makes sense. You know what you're saying. You've got him for 69 targets. Nice. We've got him for 59. But I have not drafted Logan Thomas yet. Um, he would be. I don't think I have either as much as I talk yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I think that wraps it up for the NFC East. Uh, you know, we'll be releasing these podcasts as we record them. So you should have the AFC East, NFC East out there. And yeah, really looking forward to the rest of this series. Ben, anything uh, you want to say before we get out of here? I mean, no, these, these are two fun divisions to kick out of the gate. Again, the East divisions are fun this year, so. It'll be fun to get into the rest of them, but um, hopefully we did these two uh, divisions uh, justice because there's a lot of interesting storylines here. Yeah, absolutely. Again, check out Ben on Twitter at Yards Per Gretch. His substacks, bengretch.substack.com. You can find all my stuff on Establish the Run. And if you're watching this on the Establish the Run YouTube channel, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. Or if you're listening to this on iTunes, rate and review. Helps me to continue doing these podcasts for free. Appreciate y'all tuning in.